looked at Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 19, which drives home the importance of placing your trust in God, but also the severe consequences of failing to do so. Uh, These verses contain a very severe warning that's given to believers, followers of Christ, against developing a hard heart of unbelief that would refuse to trust God in life's circumstances and adversities. Uh, You'll remember in this section we see the repeated phrase, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Now, you'll find the notes for that message on the first side of your handout today. Now, time will not permit me to do a detailed review, so let me just uh, sort of sum it up uh, this way, that last message. The author uses the example of the children of Israel, who after being redeemed by God out of slavery in Egypt, after being miraculously delivered by God from Pharaoh's armies at the Red Sea, after being supernaturally guided and provided for by God in the wilderness, they refused to trust God and enter the land that He had promised them. And last, in the last message, we looked at that incident at Kadesh Barnea, where because of worry and fear, they fell back into unbelief. As a result, you remember, they forfeited the blessing God had prepared for them, the blessing God had intended to give them. And although God stayed with them to the very end, and although God cared for them, they lived the remainder of their lives wandering 40 years in a wilderness of regret. Now, sadly, we too as believers today can miss God's blessings, and also the rest that comes from submitting to God's Word and placing our trust in Him. Therefore, before we move into chapter 4 of Hebrews, I thought it would be good to focus on how to avoid a hard heart of unbelief. And as you follow on the back side of your sermon notes, you'll notice that there are two keys that are giving, given us in the very text of Hebrews 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we are given two commands. And if we obey these commands, they will keep us from developing a hard heart. We are to take care of our hearts, and we are to encourage one another. Those are the two commands. We're to take care of our hearts, and we are to encourage one another. Now, this morning, we'll take up that first command to discover how to take care of your heart. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 reads, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, from the heart, flows the springs of life. Now, please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. 
We're going to just divert just a little bit from our study in Hebrews to focus on how to avoid this hard heart. And I believe probably the best passage to do so is here in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Now, in these verses, we will discover three steps that will enable us to avoid a hard heart of unbelief. And, and let me add, just to, uh, on a personal note, and just to drive home maybe the importance of this message, if you were to ask me, if you were to ask Brother Andy, over the last 44 years in your walk with God, what has been the key to your growth in Christ, you know what my answer would be? It would be this message that I give you this morning. And that's how important I view the truth that I'm about to share with you. It's very simple, but it's very practical. And if applied, I guarantee it will bring radical change and transformation and growth to your life. And look at the first step. I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. Read with me James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. It says, this, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, notice that phrase. You might even want to circle it in your Bibles. That phrase, receive the word implanted. God's word is presented as seed that has been implanted in the believer's heart. Now, let me raise a question. How can the same seeds be planted in two different fields, and you end up with two different results. In one of the fields, a great plentiful harvest. The other field, virtually no fruit at all. Well, the answer, one soil was prepared for planting, and the other was not. There's not a problem with the seed. The problem is with the preparation of the soil. Let me ask another question. How can two Christians be exposed to the same biblical truths, be in the same worship service, hear the same message, and one experience spiritual growth while the other does not? How do you explain that? Well, the answer is one heart was prepared to receive God's Word and the other was not. Now, the application to our lives is significant, and do not miss this. Because this is where many believers falter in their approach to the Word of God. Before the seed of God's Word can take root in your heart, before it can grow and produce the, heart, the fruit that God would intend, you must first prepare your heart to receive God's Word. It is a reciprocal process, and there is responsibility that you must take for your spiritual growth. And this is one of them. And in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, he tells us there are five things that we are responsible to do, that we must do 
before we ever come to the Word of God, before we begin to read it, before we begin to study it, before we enter a worship service, and let's look at these five things. First, he says we are to what? He says, open, open your ears. I must open my ears. He says, everyone must be quick to what? To hear. I love Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. It says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. The word translated attentive is koshab in the Hebrew text, and in the literal meaning is to prick up the ears like an alert animal. The word incline is natah in the Hebrew, and it carries the idea of removing yourself from all distractions so that you can be wholly devoted to receiving and learning God's Word. In other words, as you come to God's Word, as you, before you begin to open God's Word to read it, before you come to a worship service, you are responsible to zone out all other distractions so that you can be attentive and alert to God's instruction. Look at the second thing we must do to prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. He says, I have to shut my mouth. Not only open my ears, but shut my mouth. It says, be slow to speak. The fact is, you cannot listen while you are talking. And this includes talking to yourself. Now, now think about this. We, you know, we laugh. See, God wants your undivided attention and focus. Let's just take, for example, we talked a little bit about this in the last message. Let's talk about worry. We, we said worry in the New Testament, the word that's translated worry is merimneo. It means to divide, to tear apart, to distract. Worry is turning your eyes from God and placing them on your circumstances. Worry is, is a concern about what might or might not happen in the future that tears you away from the fact that God is present right now to give you His grace, to give you His strength. And see, think about it. You know, we talk about focusing on God's Word, meditating on God's Word, and you say, well, I don't understand meditation. Well, if you worry, you understand meditation, because all worry is is meditating on your problems. It's meditating on your circumstances. It's putting your focus, it's putting your attention there. But God says, before you come to my word, you are responsible to turn from your circumstances and turn to me, the great I am. Whatever you need, I am. I'm the answer. I'm going to be the solution. You won't find a solution anywhere else for your problems. So turn from those circumstances and look to me. I love Job 40, verse 4. And let me put it in its context. You remember Job how he's going, he went through this horrific adversity where he lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his reputation. Remember his comforters that were not so good comforters come to him and they basically accuse him of a sin. There's got to be some kind of sin in your life or there's got to be some kind of lack of faith that has brought about this adversity. And, uh, and, and Job spends the, the, most of the book, what? arguing with his friends, arguing with God, railing against God, questioning God, whether God is fair, whether God really loves him, what is God doing. He, all he's doing, the air is just filled with his words. And then finally the boy wakes up. And listen to what he says in Job 44. He says, Behold, I am insignificant. Da-da! What can I reply to thee? 
I lay my hand on my mouth. And then finally, when he laid his hand on his mouth, God had an opportunity to speak. And when God spoke, he didn't necessarily answer every question that Job had, but what God said transformed that man's life. To where when you come to the end of the book, he says, hey, Before this adversity, I knew a lot about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. And he ends the book by praising God, the very God that he was arguing with earlier. So in case you've not noticed also, and I think this is important to notice, you know, God did give you uh, two ears and just one mouth. So it's pretty obvious that he wants us to do what? A lot more listening than, uh, than speaking. Look at the third thing that we are required to do, that we are responsible to do in coming to God's Word, to calm my spirit. Not only to open my ears and shut my mouth, but to calm my spirit. It says, and be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The word translated angry is orge in the Greek text, and it refers to a deep seated bitterness and resentment towards others or life's circumstances. Bottom line, bitterness and resentment in your heart renders the Word of God ineffective. Bitterness and resentment present an emotional barrier in your life that not only prevents God's Word from taking root in your heart, but also poisons your soul and infects others. Now, what do you do with bitterness and resentment? Well, look at the next point. The very next one. It says, I have to weed my heart. I have to weed my heart. It says, therefore, putting aside what? All filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Before the garden of your heart is ready to receive the seed of God's Word, you must weed it. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said, some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up and it choked the good plants. So the question is, what are the weeds that need to be eliminated in your life? It is imperative to weed, to eliminate anything that is between you and God, anything that is between you and another person as you come to the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 reads, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Now, how do you weed your heart? You know, through repentance, through confessing your sin, through forsaking your sin, to return to Jesus as your first love, to follow Him. And then look at the fifth thing, the last thing that we are responsible to do before we ever come to God's Word, to prepare our hearts for God's Word. I have to surrender my will. I surrender my will. I don't get into God's Word and decide whether or not I'm going to do it. No, I surrender my will to God before I ever get into His Word with that commitment that I will obey as I gain understanding. It says, in humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I would suggest you would circle two key words, 
the word humility and the word receive. Humility carries the idea of coming to God's Word with a submissive attitude. The word translated receive is dekamai in the Greek text, and it means to receive God's Word with a commitment to apply it to your life, to obey it. I love Acts 17, verse 11. We're referring to believers. It says, they received the Word with eagerness. In other words, when they came to worship service, they came with eagerness. They came with enthusiasm. They came sitting on the edge of their pews, wanting to hear, wanting to learn, wanting to understand. Not to gain more knowledge, but what? To obey, to leave the worship service, and to apply that truth to their lives. So we are to come to God's Word with a submissive attitude that is ready and eager to obey it. Now let me make, before we move on, just a a very simple uh, but interesting observation about these five actions that we are responsible to take. Notice the first three, opening my ears, shutting my mouth, and calming my spirit. They are all about what? Removing distractions so that I can give God's Word my undivided attention. The next one is weeding my heart, and that's all about what? Removing sin so that I can come to God's Word, giving it my undying affection. And then notice the last one, surrendering my will. That's all about removing all the rivals to God's Word and giving God my unwavering allegiance. So out of reverence to God, I am to come to His Word, giving Him my attention, my affections, and my allegiance. I am to come thoughtfully with my mind, to learn God's Word. But notice, it does not stop there. I am to come passionately with my emotions to God's Word, but it does not stop there. I must come, what? Submissively with my will to what? Live God's Word. And that's the attitude that we come to God's Word with. That's how we prepare our hearts, to learn it, to love it, and to live it. And if I fail to do these things, if I fail to prepare my heart to receive God's Word, it's inevitable. It is inevitable that I will begin to develop a hard, callous heart, and I'll be in danger like the children of Israel to fall into unbelief and disobedience where I can often miss the very blessings God had prepared and intended for me. So to avoid a hard heart, I must first prepare my heart to receive God's Word. Look at the second truth. I must then commit my heart to respond to God's Word. After I've prepared my heart to receive the implanted Word of God, then I must commit my heart to respond. Look at James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, but prove yourselves, what's the next word? Doers. Doers of the Word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. So notice in your notes three ways 
to respond to God's Word. First, I'm to build my life on the rock of God's Word. I'm to build my life on the rock of God's Word. Now, my time is going rapidly, but we can just sum this up very simply. God is our master architect. Amen? And this Word is what? The blueprint. This is that what tells us what God intends for our lives, what God intends for our church. And we're to pattern our lives after this. Now, wouldn't you agree that it's absolutely necessary to study the blueprint? Yes. If you don't study the blueprint, you'll never know what God's plans are for your life, what God's purposes are for your life as a believer. But would we not all agree, don't miss this, would we not all agree that the blueprint has not served its purpose and still you begin to build the life that God intends? Notice the admonition in verse 22, to, be, to not merely be a hearer of God who delude or deceive themselves. Don't miss this. It says, not to be merely a hearer who deludes or deceives themselves. Listen, beloved, there is a danger, a grave danger, when you are blessed with good Bible teaching, that you confuse knowing God's Word with doing God's Word. A lot of believers think, just because I know a lot of God's Word, and I've been through a lot of Bible studies, that they're very significantly on with their growth. But growth has nothing to do with what you know. Now, that's a factor because, yes, you do have to learn it. But as we've already seen, you can't stop there. You have to love it, and you have to what? You have to live it. You have to begin to build your life on the rock of God's Word. Jesus said in John thirteen seventeen, if you know these things. Notice that word, if. If you know these things, you are blessed if you what? Do them. If you do them. I heard about a man who came to church as, just as the service was uh, completing. He asked an usher, is the uh, sermon done yet? And the very wise usher answered, well, the sermon has been preached, but it's yet to be done. And that was a very, very wise usher. And how many times have I said from this pulpit, listening to a message has never changed the first person. Simply reading the Bible has never changed the first person. Now, it's important to read the Bible. It's important to listen to messages. But what brings change is when you act on what you read, when you act on the message. And it changes the way that you live. Look at the second way we're to respond to God's Word. I am to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. I'm to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. In verse 23, the mirror that he talks about represents the Word of God. And now, what is the purpose of a mirror? You know, a mirror shows you exactly what you look like so that you can make any needed changes. And that is one of the primary purposes of the Bible, for you to bring your character, your attitudes, your values, your conduct, conduct into harmony with what the Bible teaches. But notice, the man that James refers to, he looks at himself in the mirror, but he what? He makes no changes. Notice the word translated looks in verse 23 and looked in verse 24. Now, you would think, this is an amazing observation, I think, 
just from the Word of God. You would think that the Word would mean just a casual glance since no changes were made, but no. The, those two words that he uses are very powerful words in the Greek text. It means to look carefully. It means to look cautiously. It means to look observantly. The Amplified New Testament puts verse 24 this way, for he thoughtfully observes himself, then goes off and promptly forgets what he is like. Now, please, please, please do not miss the point James is making. It is not that the man failed to look long enough. It's not that he failed to look sincerely enough at God's Word, but that he turned away without taking any action. It's just like the person who looks into the mirror and says, oh, my hair needs combing, but then what goes his way and does nothing. Now, listen, beloved, here's the application. If you do not deal with what you see in the mirror of God's Word while you are looking into it, I guarantee you will soon forget what you saw, walk away, and fail to obey it. Now, this takes us back to Hebrews 3. What was that repeated word that we saw in that chapter? Today. 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 Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. How do you think you begin the hardening process? It's when you see, when you look into the mirror of God's Word, God speaks to your heart, but then you don't act on it. That's the first step. And it's inevitable that you're going to continue to climb until you realize that when God speaks, it's the time to obey. I love Psalm 119.60. This isn't in your sermon notes. You may want to jot the reference down. Psalm 119, verse 60. Here's the attitude we should have. The psalmist says, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Isn't that a great attitude to have? It's the attitude we should all have. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. And so God says, today, as you look into the mirror of my word and I speak to you, act on that, appropriate it, obey it. And then look at the third way that we're to respond to God's word. I must fill my heart with the truths of God's word. I must fill my heart with the truths of God's word. Look at verse 21. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and notice, abides by it. That's a synonym, synonym for obedience. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. I am to fill my heart with God's truth. Again, with that submissive attitude to obey it. Now, let me share with you the reason I put, compare Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.18. Matter of fact, Turn to Colossians 3.16, and also have, have uh, Ephesians 5 ready. Colossians 3.16, and then also have ready Ephesians 5.18. Look at Colossians 3.16. It says, let the Word of Christ Richly dwell within you. 
That simply means you're to let the Word of Christ fill your heart, and not only fill your heart, but be at home in your heart as you're submissive to it, as you welcome it, to apply it. It says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And then he talks about wives be subject to your husbands. Notice, don't miss this. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be at home in your heart. Fill your life with the Word of God. And he says, if you do, here's what you're going to see in that life. You're going to begin speaking God's truth. What fills the heart will come forth from the mouth. You'll begin singing spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your heart. And you'll be, and then in the matter of submission. Now go over to Ephesians 5. In verse 18, it says, very familiar passage, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is what? To be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to walk in the ways of Christ, in the character of Christ, to fulfill the purposes and plans of Christ. And notice, what are the evidences that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the evidence that a person is controlled by God's Spirit, empowered by God's Spirit? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Does it sound familiar? It's almost an identical repeat of Colossians 3.16. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And don't miss this. One verse, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Second verse, be filled with the Spirit. And both passages, the evidence that you are letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, the evidence that you are being filled with, they're the same thing. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing with melody in your heart, knowing thanksgiving and submission, being a servant as Christ was a servant. Now, here's the very important observation from the Scripture. Ephesians 5.18, the verb tense, I don't want to get too technical, but this will be simple for you to understand. It's in the passive voice. In other words, I don't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. Who does that? That's God. God is the one who fills me. God is the one who empowers me. God is the one who energizes my life with His life to enable me to follow Jesus Christ. So that's God's responsibility. But when you go to Colossians 3.16, it is in the active voice. And guess whose responsibility it is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's your responsibility, my responsibility. And you put these two things together, and it's fascinating. God is saying, if you will come to the Word of God with that eager, submissive attitude to fill your life with the Word of God, not just to know it, but to obey it, not just to learn it, but to love it, to live it. He says, if you do that, I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll empower you with my life. So we're right back to growth is a reciprocal process. There are things that God asks me to do, of course, by His grace, by His power, but then there are things that God will do as I reciprocate to His love. So I must prepare my heart to receive God's Word. 
I must commit my heart to respond to God's Word, but the process is not complete until we come to that third and last point. I must sanctify my heart to reflect God's Word. That's the purpose in all of this, that I would reflect God's truth. I would reflect God's character, that His life would be reproduced in me to be displayed through me. And we see that in James 1. Look at uh, verses uh, 20. 26 and 27, 26 and 27, the last two verses there. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, my time is gone, but we can just sum it up this way. What does it mean to reflect God's Word? Three things you see here when you sum it up. A controlled tongue, a controlled tongue. In other words, as I'm filling my life with the Word of God, as I'm building my life on it, as I've prepared my heart to receive it, that should be reflected in my speech, the way I relate to God, the way I relate to one another. But not only my speech, notice a caring heart. He gives the example of ministering to orphans and widows, but it's not restricted to that. What he's saying is when a person really gets into the Word of God, And when they're growing in the Word of God, appropriating the Word of God, that's going to result in a caring heart and a servant spirit. And then the last thing is a clean mind. Not being polluted with the world, not having a conscience and a mind and a heart that's stained with the filth of the Word. Now, this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, and I hope you're hearing that in this message. But we are able to see how the process takes place. So again, what we've been looking at this morning is how to avoid a hard heart of unbelief as as a believer. It's very easy for us to fall into this, where we refuse to trust God in our circumstances and adversities. And how you avoid that is first by preparing your heart to receive God's Word. Open your ears, shut your mouth, calm your spirit, weed your heart, surrender your real will. And then come to God's Word with a commitment, I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to build my life on the rock of God's Word. I'm going to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. And I'm going to fill my heart with the truths of God's Word. And then say, God, as that happens, give me the wonderful privilege to reflect your Word with a controlled tongue, a caring heart. Controlled tongue, a caring heart, and a clean mind. Father, thank you for what I trust has been very practical truth today. As I mentioned at the very beginning of the message, I cannot think of any other truth that has more dramatically impacted my life than what I've shared this morning. And Father... We acknowledge that if we're not growing, there's, the problem's not with you. The problem's not with the seed of your word. The problem lies with us and our failure to prepare our hearts for your implanted word, for our failure to respond to your word and to reflect your word. So, Lord, give us grace uh, to reciprocate uh, to your truth, uh, to reciprocate to your love, Because as we've already seen in our study of Hebrews, you are worthy of our love, worthy of our trust. And so, Father, we pray that you would grow us in your grace and knowledge. And, Father, give us a heart 
that would desire to learn your word, to love it, and to live it. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As we enter our time of invitation, this message has been to believers about our approach to the Word of God so that we don't develop a callous heart that would refuse to trust God. Because unbelief, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, has consequences. Now, if you're an unbeliever, yes, there are consequences to unbelief. And that is having heaven barred from you. Entrance to heaven is, is barred to you. But heaven has been opened by Jesus. And Jesus is extending His love to you this morning. He's saying, I died for you. I came to this world for you to die for you, to die for the penalty of your sin. And I rose again to be Lord of all, to be Lord of your life, to be Lord of your heart. And so if you don't know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, my plea to you would be to put your trust in Jesus, what He did for you on the cross, what He did for you through the resurrection, and to ask Him in to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to follow Him, and to begin this walk of growth that we've talked about this morning. And then for believers, how are you going to respond to this message? I cannot imagine that there's some truth you can take hold of this morning and leave here and apply it, appropriate it. And that's how growth comes. And so I would encourage you to be responsive as well and obedient to whatever God has spoken to your heart. So please stand as the invitation is extended, and I'll be standing at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature.